0: Shabbat Shalom, Shabbat Shalom. Well, so many people have contacted us through the internet asking, what on earth are you doing keeping Shavuot on the day that you're keeping Shavuot? And then some of you wondered why we switched the day. So today I wanted to do a teaching about Shavuot, but I really am not going to be teaching on the calendar but I do want to touch and try and answer that question because many people have contacted us and asking what is going on. It's been a year of, of growth again. It's continual. We've made some switches, some changes around here um, with the calendar, moving to a solar can- calendar. And then also with the um, belief that a day begins at sunrise changes things And for many, many years, I kept Shavuot with the understanding that it was the day that the count of the Omer began the day after the high Shabbat. So then the counting of the Omer would be, of course, 50 days later, and you come to Shavuot. But this year, I changed about... A couple of months ago, and people saw the shift again. Not only a solar calendar, but now you've changed the Shavuot. And that was because I did a full circle in the realization and made a judgment call that in fact the day of the Omer, the count, begins the day after the weekly Sabbath. And many of you may be confused already. I want to just share where these scriptures are that you can do your research, do your due diligence, and see if you came up with some of the problems that I came up with, and then see what conclusions you draw with your calendaration. Of course, we've got many different things going on. In fact, you're going to find that we've got four different categories working together just within two passages Excuse me, of scripture. And this is just to begin the counting of the Omer, which is going to then affect when Shavuot falls. That's not including um, the beginning of the year and your calendar, which is a whole other thing itself. But just with these two scriptures, you've got about eight equations that you're dealing with within the four categories. And these two scriptures are... Viikra, Leviticus chapter 23 and verse 15. Well, what do you want to look at it in? The Masoretic text? Maybe we should look at it in the Septuagint. Well, then you're going to have two totally different things to deal with there. And now you've got to tie this in with Yehoshua, Joshua chapter 5 verse 10. But do you want to look at that in the Masoretic text? Because it's going to tell you one thing. And then if you look at it in the Septuagint, it's going to tell you another. Because by tying these two scriptures together, you're going to have to make a decision. When does the beginning of the Omer count start? So, Vaikra 23, verse 15, in the Septuagint, And you shall count from the next day after the Shabbat, from the day that you brought the Omer of the wave offering, seven full weeks shavuah now in the masoretic text it changes and it says seven full sabbaths you're dealing with weeks or you're dealing with sabbaths verse 16 until the next day after the last week but then in the masoretic text there it says seventh sabbath there's a change. Shall you number 50 days and you shall offer a new grain offering to Yahuwah. So there's two things that you've got to deal with there with the translation. Septuagint, Masoretic text. Are we talking weeks? Are we talking Sabbaths? Are we talking, what are we talking about exactly? But now to complicate it, we go to Joshua chapter 5 verse 10 and I'll read it to you from the Septuagint, excuse me, from the Masoretic text first. Masoretic text. And the children of Israel encamped in Gilgal and kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month at even in the plains of Jericho. And they did eat of old corn of the land on the morrow after the Passover, unleavened cakes, and parched corn in the selfsame day. Old corn. But now if you go to the Septuagint... It tells you something else. And the children of Israel kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month that evening in the westward of Jericho on the opposite side of the Jordan in the plain. Verse 11. And they ate the grain of the earth unleavened and... New corn. Game changer. Because now you've got four categories... Within just these two texts, Va'ikra 23:13, 15, excuse me, and Joshua 5:10, you've got four categories juxtaposing eight things. And most people just read, well, I'm going to read Leviticus 23:15 and find out when to begin start starting the count of the Omer, and, real, and not realizing there is a lot more that you're going to have to make a judgment call on and you just can't skim read this stuff. So I made a judgment call years ago, but then I didn't take into account that with a day beginning at sunrise, it skewed everything and bumped my days. So then when I went back to Joshua 5.10 with that reading, I'm like, whoa, and you're going to have to dig in and do your due diligence, and make a judgment call also. You've got four categories that you need to be aware of with eight things that are being juxtaposed. Passover, on a Sabbath that year, in Joshua 5.10. Did Passover fall on a Sabbath that year? If it did, then that means one thing. If it didn't fall on a Sabbath that year, then you've got another thing to deal with. So you have to take that into account. Are we talking about weeks versus Sabbaths? You've got to take that into account. Because in Leviticus 23, the Masoretic or the Septuagint, you're going to have to deal with Strong's number 7676, which is Shabbat. Or are we talking about Shabbaton? So you've got to deal with weeks. Or Sabbaths. There's another thing in your equation. Then you've got to go to Joshua 5.10, 5.11, specifically. Are we talking about new corn or old corn? Because you're not supposed to eat of the new corn until a certain time. So if it's new corn, we've got a problem. Or do we have a problem? Well, it really depends on when a day begins. (laughs) You see, there is so much going on here that you just, it's amazing. I love it. I mean, this is the kind of thing that uh, keeps me up at night and um, keeps me sitting in my chair in the morning. And then, of course, you have to decide when does a day begin, at sunset or sunrise. So with all of that, you come to the conclusion, knowing that postponements in Judaism, they make postponements for the Sabbath, But there are no postponements, even in Judaism, for the Passover. But you have to take that into account, because it's possible that you could have a double Sabbath, like this year. Sabbath today, weekly Sabbath, but then the high Shabbat tomorrow, double Sabbaths. There are postponements when it comes to the full Moadim, but not with Passover. So, with that judgment call, we're looking forward to Shavuot tomorrow. <laughs> but all that to say this, is this what Shavuot is about? Is it? Because you can spend a huge amount of time on this, and I have. In fact, a decade ago, so much of my time was spent on this that now many people think, well, Matthew doesn't pay enough attention to the calendar, Maybe. Actually, I do, but I do not get bogged down on it because there was a time in my life when I obsessed on it. And I'm thankful that I've moved past that. That's not to begrudge or belittle anyone that does spend an amount of time. I think we all go through that. But at some point, you have to go, what is this about? I know for myself, it's always been about cleaning the inside of the cup. And ultimately, I believe that that's what this feast is about and all of the feasts are about. So I don't want to spend any more time going into the calculations. I set you up there telling you, you know, have a look. There are four categories. There are eight things that are being juxtaposed just in those two texts. But then you've also got to deal, are you going to go barley sniffing at the beginning of the year? Or are you going to go, I mean, these these things are important. I've never been a barley sniffer. But, you know, some people are into that, especially the Karites. But they're into a lot of things I'm not into, like denying Yahushua as the Messiah. (laughs) Give me a break. Anyway, so with all that, I believe I want to teach today about what Shavuot is about, and that is the inner work. It is the inner work. We are what? We are the temple of Eloah, are we not? and wherever that temple is that body of believers there is he and we are to all dwell together in one accord waiting for the indwelling of the ruach Hakodesh. specifically we come together at shavuot as the temple of aloha waiting in anticipation for the ruach Hakodesh. myself I'm going through trials right now in my life. Please pray for me and my family. Big trials. I need victory. But I tell you what, it has been so encouraging going through these trials now, knowing I am on the Oma count, And I know that there is going to be a shift on Shavuot once I reach day 50. So I did some things this week preemptively, and I'm I just, like, just going to send things out. I'm just going to let it go because I know that I am in line with Yahuwah's will and that I am in line with his feasts and his seasons, his times. And I know that I'm going to do things this week because next week is too late. I'm counting the Yoma now and things are going to shift on Shavuot because I will have gone from the barley man Barley is animal food to the man with the two wheat loaves. That's my anticipation, and I'm going to walk in it in faith and belief. And that's what I want to talk about today. Because ultimately, Shavuot is about us coming from the barley nature to the wheat nature. Moving from animal food to human food. We have to go through the struggle Which is that 50 days to get from the old nature to the new nature. It's a refining. That's what Shavuot is about. It's a betrothal covenant. And when is the first time that we see them coming together to be betrothed together? It is at the mountain, at the Malkit Zedek Book of the Covenant, Exodus 19 to 24. But it's ultimately for us time to bloody well grow up. Isn't it? Grow up. Stop being a baby. When I was a child, I spoke as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away the childish things. we got too many believers that are messing around with paganism and childish things. They're not willing to grow up. And they're going to be stuck In the barley nature and the barley nature will not inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah. What is the first question that the Talmudim asked the risen Mashiach? What is the first question that they ask him before he ascends on day 40? Master, when will you restore the Malchut to Israel? When will you restore the kingdom to Israel? That's what this is all about, him restoring the kingdom to Israel within you because you are to graft into Israel unless you want to go to the granary of the barley granary, which is still in Egypt, and it's rotting with paganism. Which granary storehouse are you going to? That is what this teaching is about, and that is what Shavuot is about. Now, traditionally, Psalm 67 is recited during this period because, if you look, Psalm 67 consists of seven, verse, seven verses, Shavuot, weeks, and 49 Hebrew words. Seven times seven, of course. Isn't that amazing? Shavuot is a day of renewal, a day of anointing. The Ruach ravi. It's the fourth of the seven Moadim. The Ruach HaRavi dwells on this day. That's where what this counting of the Omer signifies. It's the expectation of the initial faith manifesting in real, tangible power in our lives. I don't want to be stuck with that initial faith I had, which was Bali, I want to move into real, tangible power in my life so I can stand in the face of my enemies so that I can overcome that which would try and take me out of the knees every time I walk and stand up for truth and righteousness. I'd like to do the blessing that is traditionally done at this time. Baruch Yahuwah, Eloheinu, melech ha'olam, asher kadishnu al Sefirat La Omah. Blessed art you, Yahuwah Elohim, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by thy commandments and commanded us concerning the counting of the Omer. So Mashiach dwelt with the Talmudim in his resurrected. For manifest to them for forty days, for forty days it records in Maaseh Lechem the Acts of the Apostles, chapter one, that Yehusha was with the Talmudim, and then he said to them what: Wait here, wait here, and continue to count. Continue the count. Because if you continue the count, you will receive real power. Real power. Why did Yahusha not have to continue the count to 50? Because he is not in the barley nature. He was already in that resurrected nature. He didn't have to count to 50, but you and I have to move from that barley to that wheat nature. You see, when we get to the Acts of the Apostles, we have to make a choice. The institutionalized church, it absolutely must, it has to have an upper room experience. At Shavuot, at Pentecost. It has to have an upper room experience at Pentecost. Because if you can prove through the scriptures that there is no upper room experience at Pentecost, then you have no separation of the church from Israel. You have no New Testament that is separated from Israel. They have to have an upper room experience at Shavuot. But I've been to the upper room. There isn't a mikveh in it. And there is no bloody way. Even if you want to cram yourselves like sardines, that you're going to get 3,000 people in there. But you have to have an upper room experience at Shavuot so that you can have a New Testament church being born. And then you can separate from Israel, you can separate from the Sabbaths, and you can separate from the feasts. But the Bible doesn't allow you to do that. Scripture does not allow you to do that. If you read the text, it's a different story altogether. And you will find that we are on that narrow path that leads to life because the institutionalized church has to have this upper room experience in acts 2 to separate from israel and make a new israel or the new church entity but in chapter 2 verse 1 of Ma sesh acts chapter 2 verse 1 it says that they were where they were in one accord and the ruach Hakodesh filled the whole bayit bayit the house. If you were to go over to Israel today and you were to get a Jewish taxi driver and you would say, Take me up to the bait, guess where he would take you? He would take you to the Temple Mount. Because that is an idiom for the house of Yahuwah, the bait so they were at the bayit the whole house now skip down to verse 41 and 3000 souls were up there they were in the temple in anticipation of the indwelling of the ruach hakodesh that is what they were doing now Skip down to verse 46, and you have to ask yourself the question. They were continuing daily in one accord in the temple. How can you continue in the temple if you weren't in the temple already, but you were in an upper room? Right? How do you continue in the temple if you weren't in the temple already? Of course, verse 46 tells you that verse 1 was in the temple. And now you've destroyed replacement theology. Right there. Because this is the sand foundation of the institutionalized church that shifts and crumbles when you examine it with the scripture. The upper room in verse 12 is a separate event if you really read the scripture. All Israel would be gathered by commandment, according to Deuteronomy 16 and Leviticus 23. And they would be gathered by commandment in the temple. If they had been gathered in an upper room, they would have been disobedient to the commandment. And Yahuwah would have been disobedient to himself by blessing them with the outpouring of the Ruach HaKodesh for their disobedience. No, they were not in an upper room. The Ruach Hakodesh couldn't have been given because they would have been in disobedience and Yahweh would not have blessed that. So, right there, we can start to open up and see this amazing, amazing narrow road of Zadokah righteousness. And you can see now how the broad road has built its foundation on sand and it's crumbling as people begin to become more biblically literate. Now, at Shavuot, we have two loaves which are made into one. And I know many people who be, oh, it's the two houses of Israel. Oh, it's Ephraim and Je-. I've heard all of that before. But really, two houses are made into one. It's really talking about the two natures. Shavuot is about transforming your nature from carnal, barley, into kingdom, wheat. He wants to make us have a kingdom nature. And there is no more important time on the history of this planet. Is it a globe? Oh, we don't want to get into that. (laughs) You've got to watch out for those globalists though you do you do it makes you wonder does it not does it not the globalists but that's for another time maybe tomorrow but ultimately we know on the 14th of aviv is Pesach. on the 15th of aviv is chagmat salt the feast of unleavened bread and this was when you would bring the first fruits of the barley harvest the sickle harvest And it would be in the sunrise on Yom Echad after the weekly Shabbat. It would be called Yom Echad Le'Oma. And then you would count 50 days later and you get to Shavuot. So you have the harvests of first fruits, which is barley, to the harvests of Shavuot, which is wheat. And that's what it's doing. We are counting ultimately from the first Adam barley nature to be transformed into the second Adam, the wheat nature. That's what this count is about. It said that Israel experienced fifty levels of descent when they went into Mitzrayim. Fifty levels of descent. Ultimately, when they were in Egypt, what did they end up being fed? Barley, animal food. Fifty levels of descent from Jacob living in tents like a king to being slaves in Egypt living off animal food, treated as animals, whipped and beaten as animals with yokes upon their necks, 50 levels of descent. So if we're going to come out of paganism and slavery to the new world order and slavery from this system, how many steps is our aliyah going to be? How many steps is our ascent going to be? It's going to be 50, is it not? And we're going to have to transform from that animal nature all the way back to where he wants us in the first place to be that holy kadosh nation 50 days of counting the Omer so that we can gain the kingdom. Master, when will you restore the kingdom to Israel? Do you get what's going on here? This is amazing. Animal instinct to kingdom instinct. Barley is animal food. Wheat makes bread. Bread. And that is the very essence of your and my existence, human existence. We are to move from the first Adam to the second Adam. Going from the food of the first Adam to the second Adam is challenging and it is a trial. It is going to mess with your digestion and it will manifest in your body and it might keep you up at night. We are the first fruits. What are we the first fruits of? Are you the first fruits of the barley harvest? Which is earthly, which is natural. Do you have that animal carnal tendency? You see, most believers, this is the crux, most believers continue to eat barley all the days of their lives. They're called carnal Christians. They continue to eat barley All the days of their life. They are earthly. They are fleshly. Because they are eating the food of animals. They are being served up slop every Sunday morning. Animal food. And that's it. And they get used to it. And guess what? It produces carnality. And an animal carnal nature. Or... Are we going to do something else? Is barley permissible to wave at Shavuot? No, it's not. Your carnal nature cannot stand before Yahuwah at the end of your life. It's not permissible. You have got to transform. You think you're just going to be saved, stuck there with barley? No. It is not permissible to stand before Yahuwah and receive the kingdom of Israel. It's not permissible. It's against the Torah. And Yahuwah will not contradict himself. So you have to shape up and transform before you die or are resurrected. Otherwise, mishpat judgment will be upon you for your animal carnal nature. The only thing that is permissible that will inherit the kingdom of Yahuwah is a barley wave, excuse me, a wheat wave offering, a wheat wave offering at Shavuot. That is the kingdom wave of the Moadim Shavuot. Corinthia Olive, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 46. I love this. But the spiritual Adam was not first, but the natural Adam, and afterwards the spiritual one. The first man is of the earth. He's barley. He's carnal. He's earthly. And the second man is the master, Yahuwah, from the Sharmayim. That's the wheat. That's the wheat nature. As the earthly, as also are those that are earthy. And as is the heavenly, so also are those that are heavenly. Verse 49... And as we have borne the image of the earthly one, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly one. Now this I say, Israelite brothers, that flesh and dam cannot inherit the malchut of Yahuwah. Neither does corruption inherit incorruption. Behold, I show you a sowed mystery. Behold, I show you A sowed mystery. We shall not all die, but we shall all be changed. We need to count. We are commanded to count, to shavuot, to attain the spiritual discipline nature of obedience, so we can enter in the malchut hashamayim, the kingdom of heaven by works. Yes, we are saved by emunah, by faith, but it's going to take works to transform your nature, right? Yes, you're saved by faith, but you better do the works to transform your nature. Otherwise, you're going to be stuck as least in the kingdom. You're in the barley granary. You're in the barley granary. Even to be counted as least in the malchut HaShamayim, because you couldn't accept the authority of Torah. You could only accept the parts you agreed with. Still, to be least in the kingdom, your righteousness, your zadakar, had better exceed that of the prushim and the sofrim, right? That's what the scriptures say. It's no mention of faith. Because it's human work with human effort to transform that nature from the worldly barley man to the heavenly wheat kingdom man. And where are we supposed to go? Ask yourself these questions. Where do we go to transform our nature? It says right in the scripture, we're to go to Jerusalem, Yerushalayim, because that's where our food is. That's where our food is. The institutionalized church wants to stay in the pagan nations in the storeroom of the barley believer who will still be in their carnal nature. The institutionalized church is stuck in Egypt in a barley granary. And guess what? The barley is rotting. That's what we've got in the 21st century. The institutionalized church is the barley granary stuck in Egypt with all its paganism, and the grain is rotting. And people are eating that stuff. And you wonder why they have got no power. Because the power is the count to the wheat harvest of Shavuot. Is this all making sense to you, or am I just like over... In the sowed. I mean, it's right there, is it not? If we just take the time to see. This right here is the gospel message to get out of her and come out of her, my people. This is the gospel message of coming out of her, my people. What granary? Choose which granary that you're going to stay in and eat out of. I mean, it really is that. That's why I love the Feasts of Yahuwah, because they teach you things about scripture easter is going to teach you about big boobs and fertility are you allowed to say that but that's what it's going to teach you she's the bare-breasted fertility goddess we don't need to be taught anymore about big boobs in the culture that we live in okay (laughs) give me a break it's insanity I mean, come on, though. I mean, it's just, it's true. It is. I mean, enough is enough of your carnal nature. Kingdom Storehouse is where I want to go. Kingdom Storehouse. If you've counted the Omer works, you are then prepared for the Malchut Hashamayim. And you are oriented back to Jerusalem. Because if you orient yourself back to Jerusalem, that's where the feasts are. But if you orient yourself back to Egypt, then yes, you're going to have to deal with Easter and all of that nonsense, which will, of course, keep you in the carnal nature. Wheat is for the spiritual believer who has become obedient to Yahuwah, and he will inherit the malchut, and he will attain the rewards that are waiting for him afterwards. It's about moving from not just physical freedom. He wants to move us into spiritual freedom in our families, and ultimately as a family together. So there's a growth there that we're going to talk about. You see, Moshiach ascended on the 40th day of the Omer, thus fitting the pattern because he did not need to be transformed from the carnal nature to the heavenly nature. He didn't need to do the count because he was already in the kingdom priestly, high priestly nature which is what we need. It's ultimately about moving past the individual, one covenantal relationship, or it's just about me. I've got this personal relationship with Jesus. Right? How many of you have heard that? In the barley granary. Or oh, it's just about me and the Lord hanging out in the barley granary with Easter, the bare-breasted fertility goddess. Right? <laughs> Yeah, I know what you're doing in there, you pervert. Right? Seriously. Messing around, whoring around. Right? Committing adultery. Lying on a bed of barley. I know what they're up to. It's disgusting. But it's moving from that one on one, oh, it's all about me and the Lord, to what? Something that is harder, that is not the carnal nature, but a mature, wheat nature. It's a lot harder to be the plural one of the bride, right? Where we have to deal with one another as echad. Are we going to move from the individual covenant, or are we going to count all the way to Shavuot to a communal covenant relationship? That's where it's hard. Because guess what? Your carnal nature will be exposed when you're in the communal covenant. Oh yeah, you can be real holy when it's just you and Jesus in the barley granary, right? Because you've got him all dressed up like a pagan sun god, right? And Easter visits you once a year. Oh, yeah, you're real spiritual. But once we put you in with the body of the saints in a uni plural atmosphere, you're exposed as an adulterer. Right? That's maturity. And that's why they want to stay in the dark in the rotting barley granary. Pesach, Chagmatza, and Yom HaBikarim represent the one to one or individual covenantal relationships. That's where we have to start. At Passover, first fruits, unleavened bread. That's that individual. It has to start there. Yes, it is. Just you and the Lord when you first get saved. That is what those first three feasts represent. You've got to start somewhere, right? But you're not supposed to stay there. Because if you stay there, they're going to start to shift and switch things on you. The next thing you know, you're not doing Passover, you're doing Easter. The next thing you know, you're not doing First Fruits, you're building a snowman and it's Christmas time. Right? I mean, they'll, they'll start to shift things on you if you stay in that carnal nature. But you were never supposed to stay there. Yes, it was supposed to be individual to begin with. But at Shavuot, we move away from the one-to-one covenant relationship and it is the first moed of the communal covenants because then you've got Shavuot, the first of the communal, uni-plural covenants. Then you go to Yom Teruah and ultimately you all come together at Sukkot as the uni-plural bride. Right? Why do you think they teach a pre-tribulation rapture? Where somebody's going to have their jeans and underwear on an airplane seat. And then somebody else is going to have their whatever somewhere else. And it's all of these individual raptures up into the sky. Is that how it works? Or do we all go as a uni-plural echad? Together. Together. Not these like individual mid-air appointments, right? Thessalonians, right? No. That's the barley nature. The new covenant establishes a new Pesach, Passover, for his people by fulfilling the original one, by becoming the Pesach lamb under a new Malkitzedic priesthood, dismissing the Levitical Barley. You have to move past it. He became a new Hagmatzah, Feast of Unleavened Bread, which we are to metaphorically eat by partaking of his Chaim, his life through faith. He became a new Yom HaBikarim, of resurrection, offering us a new, right? And he became a new Shavuot by becoming our betrothed, Bridegroom, And he will, when he does return, become a new Yom Teruah and a new Sukkot, having already placed his blood on the Yom Kippur altar. You see, instead of a bride by herself, individual, we have the relationship of a bride with the men supposed to be the nation of Israel in Echad Union, which takes us all the way. 19 to 24. That's the ultimate Shavuot. The goal of Israel is to be one Echad of a single prophetic voice, just as Moshe Rabbeinu yearned for back at the book of the covenant in Exodus 19 to 24, the original Echad union bride. That's what he's returning us to. At Shavuot, we don't just look out for ourselves, but we look out for the Echad union at the mountain, We seek the unity with Yahuwah, but also with each other in covenant. That's what we're supposed to do. Encourage one another to come into covenant together in plurality. It's a work, isn't it, to transform from barley into the wheat nature. And we need to help one another as we go along that Oma count together. You see, the solo believer flying solo as they teach in the barley granary, has no promise. The solo believer has no promise beyond a basic second resurrection or barley loaf salvation in a lesser heavenly kingdom, at least in the kingdom. Is that what you want? That's what they're setting you up for. You see, you have to move From the one-to-one relationship with Yahuwah, which is first, yes, represented by those three first Moedim. But you have to transform and move into the communal relationships to attain covenant completeness within the priesthood and fullness of the faith. Yahweh's desire for all of us is to transform the one to many and he will not abandon the many in order to accommodate someone who refuses to be part of the many. Even if he will go out from the many to rescue a lost soul in order to bring them back to the many, but he's not going to accommodate the one who wants to stay in the barley granary. We can't do that anymore. We are only as good as we are in covenant with him together in the plurality because we're supposed to go back to the mountain of Shavuot. There's really three stages as we mature with Mashiach, And we've got to look at these three stages. And they all resemble and speak of the feasts. At first fruits, Yom HaBakarim, The first of the barley harvest, each individual completes the threefold activity. This is the threefold activity. This is what happens when we first come to that barley faith with that one-on-one relationship. Oh, it's between me and the Messiah, me and the Lord. Yes. First thing I do, number one, I confess with my mouth. Right. That's the first thing I do. Number two, I then become covered in the blood of atonement. And that's supposed to be at Passover, at Pesach. And number three, with my heart, I'm to invite Moshiach in to rule as king over my life as he works to overcome that leaven, that barley nature and sin which is represented by Hagmatza, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Then at Yom HaBikarim, first fruits. I'm to immerse myself into Moshiach. In the midst of Hagmatza I enter into that one-to-one relationship or covenant, and I begin to walk with Messiah. This all happens at those first three feasts. This is the barley relationship. This is the milk relationship where we all started. Passover, first fruits, and unleavened bread. That's where we all started. Do not despise humble beginnings. We were on the milk. We were in the barley grain house. And there was a lot of paganism because it was still back in Egypt, right? But we cannot stay there. And if you do, you'll begin to rot and you'll begin to stink. And that's what happens. And that's the institutionalized church. It's a picture for you right there. And now you can see all the problems that there is within that's the milk supply of the infant. The institutionalized church sadly has pitched its tent in the pagan granary. But we're to move to Shavuot because that's where our relationship is expanded. That's where our relationship is broadened to include the whole priesthood community with whom he becomes linked as a plural betrothed bride at the mounted, joining the collective heart of all of us so that we become what? A kadosh nation, a priestly nation. This is the wheat relationship. It's the coming of age. It's maturity. It's meat. It's wheat. It is the priesthood where we have counted. We've been confirmed. It's our confirmation, if you will. We've counted. We've made it. We come into full maturation, maturity, meat, not milk. We have spiritual adulthood That's what Shavuot represents to me. When I look at this, I see this is maturity. And you're going to have to train your digestive system. And you're going to have to walk through difficult times as you count the Omer, And then finally, we have the expectation of moving from Shavuot all the way to Yom Teruah. And then we get to Sukkot via Yom Teruah. And the Teshuvah period, that season of repentance where we will then at Sukkot dwell together at Sukkot in booths. That is when the betrothed marriage is consummated. This is really the grape or the wine harvest of our relationship after many repeated crushings and purifications, isn't it? That's ultimately it. For us to get to Sukkot, it's the wine grape harvest of the relationship where you have been crushed and pressed so that you produce forth a sweet drink that is can be offered up as a sacrifice. That's your life. Full maturity, the crucified self with Yahushua finally reigning and ruling within. These are the three stages of our maturity as we go through Messiah and the feasts. The three stages. The one to one, which is the first three festivals. The preparatory one to many, which is the fourth, Shavuot. Finally, leading to the fullness of the one to many, which is the seventh, Sukkot. So the first three feasts, Passover, unleavened, and first fruits, evolve into the fourth, Shavuot, which is the body of Messiah, with the seventh being, of course, the blood of messiah shavuot the wheat the body of messiah sukkot the grape harvest the blood of messiah at the final stage the two are joined together into a singular resurrected body the festivals are truly a picture of the birth and coming into full spiritual maturity why would we not want to keep the feasts It's amazing. Shavuot represents the countdown to maturity. It does. It stands midway in the seven feasts, crossing the divide between the poor man's barley and the rich man's wheat. The institutionalized church encourages childhood without adulthood. And what is childhood without adulthood? It's poverty of spirit. And they encourage it. Because then they can rape you. Each and every Sunday, and eventually starve you out so that you capitulate and live a compromised life. Because they starved you out. You're in submission. This is a war tactic. This is what they do when they take cities and they're trying to take your city. They're trying to take your house. And you think it's unintentional? It's willful, defiant piracy of your life. It truly is. This is a siege tactic. Starve you so that you're weak, and then they can make you slaves because you'll eventually capitulate to all the paganism and infiltration of the world because you're so weak you can't even fight it because you are stuck chewing on barley in the pagan granary of Egypt. My goodness, it's amazing. Satan Tan has been breaking up marriages, families, and communities because his goal is to keep us all as stunted children. That's his goal. But we know that Yahuwah is going to bring us together. He's going to bring us together as two wheat loaves ready for this festival. Matthew 9 verse 37 it is written, The harvest truly is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray the master of the harvest to send out laborers Into his harvest. You see, Shavuot is supposed to equip us, equip us for harvesting souls, equip us to pull those people out of the barley granary. Deuteronomy 14, 2. For you are a people, Kadosh to Yahuwah, Kadosh to Yahuwah, your Elohim. Out of all the peoples on the face of the earth, Yahuwah has chosen you to be his treasured possession. The Hebrew word there, is segular. It means to be special, different, or of great wealth. And the Greek equivalent there used in the Septuagint is perisuis, which means beyond the usual. You are peculiar. The Hebrew root means to shut up or to lock away something. It's very telling, isn't it? What would you do with costly jewels? would shut them up and lock them away in a safe. And you would only bring them out onto display on special occasions when you're surrounded by royalty, royalty. In other words, the glory of the one who is kadosh or set apart is to be hidden away. And we're only revealed on special occasions. One of these is Shavuot, Yahweh has literally hidden us away, has he not? And he reveals us to people on special occasions when he wants to speak into their lives. Don't you see that? I see that all the time. Barley is that once action, but wheat is a continuous thing. That's why we're to come to Shavuot each and every year for that continuous, continuous filling. Shavuot comes every year, Because Yahweh wants us to come away and he wants us to be filled and refilled and refilled and refilled. Our faith is not a one-time filling. Do not believe the lie, once filled, always filled. No, come to Shavuot each and every year and you will be refilled. It's a continual refilling. They were all in one accord together in one place. They were there collectively. And that's where Yahuwah wanted them to be. Not individually, but collectively together. To be filled, we have to be emptied of everything and anything that would prevent that filling, right? Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the malchut. You see, it's all about the Moadim. And that's what I love about this walk, the substance of the Moadim. It's great that we physically come together and we physically assemble at the Moadim. But by itself, in and of itself, that would be meaningless it won't give us any covenantal blessings unless we are properly gathered together inside, right? We have to be gathered together properly inside. When Shavuot was originally given, it was to a kadosh, holy nation, a collective Malkitzedic priesthood. And it can never be fully realized until we turn away from the Bali lifestyle, the Bali priesthood, and the teachings that that is, and embrace the wheat lifestyle and the Malkitzedic wheat priesthood and all that that contains. Again, you want to stay in a Levitical barley priesthood, or are you going to move and do the count to the Malkitzedic wheat priesthood? Because that's what Yahushua was. On day 40, he was not a Levitical high priest. He was wheat, and he didn't need to count to 50 because he was the Malki Kohen, Haggadah, already transformed and transfigured. And that's what he has for us. You see, we have seven Moadim, and they really are and do equate to the seven Ruachim, the seven spirits of Yahuwah. And Shavuot is that fourth ruach, that fourth ruach. Let's look at these first of the seven ruachim and finish up here. You see, Shavuot, it's not all external because we're not in the land. We're not out there doing the sabbatical year. We're not in the land. We're still in exile. So it's not about external things. Can we agree on that? Shavuot has got to be about internal things, and that's the deep work, because it's also ultimately not about the land of Israel, but it is about the Malchut Yahuwah, the Kingdom of Yahuwah. That's what Shavuot is about. Celebrating the festivals with the wrong heart is useless. It's useless because the foundation of each of these seven Moadim is the seven Ruach HaKodesh. And we have number one, of course, we have Pesach. And this is under the anointing of Ruach Echad, whose principal action, what happened on Yom Echad back in Bereshit 1? The separation from light Separation from the darkness, you come into the light. That's what you do. Happened to me when I was 24 years old. And that's what happened. Yom the separation of darkness into the light. Passover, the first day, the first moed. Number two, Hagmatza. This is what? Our exodus, this is our departure from the world. It's supposed to be as you begin to depart from the world. And how did that happen? By the crossing of the Red Sea, by the dividing of the waters. What happened on day two of creation? The dividing of the waters. The exodus is under the Ruach of the Ruach HaShani, day two, Ruach HaShani, the second of the seven Ruachs, the Holy Spirits. The third Moed, in the middle, we have Chag HaMatzah, or unleavened bread. We celebrate this third festival. We find in the middle of Chag HaMatzah, and it's called Yom HaBikorim, the Feast of fruits, to remind us that Yahushua is the first fruits of the resurrection. And what happened on that day, the third day? Yielding fruits after its own kind. This is amazing. And that's what we need to do. We need the anointing and the faith that we will enable us to cross the Red Sea. And then we will find that when we do that, we will have the Ruach HaShleshi that third day, the third of the Ruachs, and then we're brought to Shavuot, that fourth day. We shine forth the light and become a witness to the Moadim days and years. On the fourth day, we receive a fresh anointing, and this day is Ruach Revi, the fourth Ruach, and this Is what Shavuot is about. It is about us shining forth the light and becoming a witness to the feasts, the festivals, the days, and the years. That's what this is about. We start to speak the truth into this pagan granary that everyone is caught into as they starve and begin to capitulate to the New World Order. This is amazing. Yahuwah has called us into this, and we have the eyes to see, and we have the anointing, because we count. And really, we didn't do anything more than just sit down. Sit down, right? Because that what, that's what it means when it says to tarry. It means sit and wait sit and wait in this we can acknowledge that there is absolutely nothing we can do other than wait in faith because we have to bring forth that tribute that free will offering which is the work that he's doing inside of us and sometimes we have to wait because it's a wrestling match isn't it and we have to wait. And why can't he take this from me? Why am I still struggling with this? And you have to wait patiently. But wait and pray and ask others to pray for you. And he will eventually deliver you from your afflictions. The word tribute translates the Hebrew misar, which literally means abundantly flowing. If we wait in faith, just sit and wait in faith, and we expect to come to his Shabbats and to his Moadim, and we respond to the messah, then guess what we'll get? The abundantly flowing Ruach HaKodesh. And that's what Shavuot is, and that's why I love the Shabbats and Moadim of Yahuwah. Not only to be with the uni-plural bride, but seeing that we're maturing together and that we're no longer in this pagan barley granary. What an anointing. What a call that he has chosen us to come out of her, my people, so that we can help others and shine the light on this fourth Moed, Shavuot. I'm so looking forward. Please come up to the wilderness with us tomorrow as we celebrate Shavuot. And I hope that this enabled you to see that this is just not about calendar calculation, but it's about calculating what you're like inside and then doing the count yourself to be transformed from an animal nature to that second Adam, the resurrected wheat nature. Shavuot is an amazing, awesome time. Amen. Amen. Questions, comments? Brother Steve in the back.
1: Uh, first off, I would like to say is that, um, and you're, you're right, as we contemplate and we start to learn and study the Moedim on the inside, and we contemplate them, even when we do come into land, then we can fully practice it. There are, to a degree, things you can do. When you plant a field, you know that in the seventh year, you let it rest. But there's a lot of it you can't. But as long as you study it, and you, live and you study the word, when the time comes, you will... You will be able to fulfill it all without the American new or the new order getting in your way, because we will have the We will have our land. We will have the kingdom, the land of Canaan, milk, a land flowing with milk and you know honey. We will be able to do that. But it starts off inward. We have to. We have to desire it. We have to study it. We have to be ready for those blessings Mm -hmm. when it comes. But first off, I wanted to say is that it's interesting. Is in the Moedim is that the Messiah is the first and the last, the beginning and the last. It starts with Passover and our people, the setting apart, the leaving, leaving the land of Egypt starts with him. He's our Passover lamb. He's the beginning. And then he, it ends with him sacrificing himself as the Passover lamb in that little process of the refining in what he was prophetically doing. And each Moedim prophetically, it, it really the Moedim are pointing towards Messiah, not Messiah pointing towards Moedim. It's all prophetic occurrence of what the Messiah is doing for us as our deliverer in these stages. And that's why it's, bo- it's both outwardly and inwardly. Prophetically, we're, we, were, we have read about and experienced what he has been doing for us. And that's the outward. But then the spiritual inward is the steps like you're talking about. Mm-hmm. The steps to refining ourselves on the inside spiritually yeah. as these festivals go on. Going from milk to then curds, you're building firmness. It's becoming more solids. And then it goes on to cheese. Firm, strong, filling. And then, just like with the process of meat, you work your way up. So the inner doesn't negate
0: the outer. And the outer doesn't negate the inner. But again, it's working in a union together. And that's ultimately what he's doing with all of us. It's amazing. Baruch Hashem, Yahuwah, Amen.